Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. Extraterrestrial Trilogue on Terran Self-Destruction by Sherry S. Tepper, a.k.a. Sherry S. Eberhardt, when this poem came out. First published in Galaxy Science Fiction, August 1961. I don't think it has been republished, but uh, if it has, it's uh, not in anywhere I've seen it. Um, Science fiction poems uh, have followers, surprisingly, but not... Uh, it's not, you know, as popular as short stories, novellas, novelettes, no, anything like that. I don't even think there's a uh, an award at the Hugos or anymore, if there ever was, for a poem. But uh, I, I like science fiction poems. They're usually funny. <laughs> okay. Um, I like science fiction format. poems, too. It's interesting... There are, after all, lots of fantasy poems. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Tolkien's Adventures of Tom Bombadil. Sure. Um, there are fewer science fiction poems, but there are some. Um, they're whole science fiction epics, in fact. Wow. Uh, but, yeah, book length and so on. However, let's stick with uh, this poem uh, today. Um I've got all kinds of questions about it. Um, I think it's a very good poem. With poems, I find it's often best to sort of slowly try to read the whole of it and then go back through it and figure out how the pieces um, work together. Makes sense. Okay. Shall I give it a shot? Please do. Thank you. Extraterrestrial Trilogue on Terran self-destruction three creatures sat on the sands of mars and the first to the ancient twiddling bars that the second played on a twalreg flute sang a canal lay most convolute while the third with his horn in the sand sat mute considering the stars at last, the second stilled his fife, and the third twanged out. His voice was rife with a hint of fear. Do you know that there, where the third planet spins in its veil of air, I'm convinced there's a spot, a jot, a hair, a widge, perhaps, of life? The first began an amusement dance, while the second, fourth eyes, crossed askance, skibbed with extreme severity, you ought to watch your tongues, quoth he. One should not affront the deity by mentioning such chance. For years our scientists have spent their time in the establishment of reasons why the life we know could not exist above, below, or any place but here. They show that fact self-evident. Just then their eyes were caught, aghast, by for where the air-veiled planet passed, a ball of fire had blossomed wide, and holocausts together vied to rip the ravened globe aside with nothing left at last. Murmured the first, you will allow, by every old and sacred vow, this proves my point and proves it well, those pyrotechnics must compel you to recant, the third said, hell, 
it doesn't matter now. And they sat back down on the sands of Mars to hear the ancient twiddling bars of a Martian dirge or the Twalreg flute in troches old and dissolute, while the third, with his horn in the sand, sat mute, considering the stars. So I've got to say that on a first pass through, just slowly like that, that seems like um, three comical, you said, Jesse, science fiction poems are often funny, Mm -hmm. three kind of comical guys sitting around. Uh, Maybe they remind us of Twill from A Martian Odyssey, a very famous science fiction short story about a guy who, that character leaps into the air and buries his head in the sand. Um, So, you know, the horn in the sand, uh, maybe this is a comic story about three guys who are sort of talking, sort of playing music, and then they see the Earth destroy, destroyed. Uh, we know from the title that we're supposed to understand that it's human beings who destroyed the Earth because it's Terran self-destruction, mm-hmm. according to Sherry Eberhardt. Why she Tepper used an, a pseudonym there, I do not know. So it seems like a simple sort of comic story poem, but... I think it's a lot more than that. How did it grab you? Yeah, it, it strikes me as a comic poem, um, in part because of the, the. I think it's a kind of a satire of humans, as opposed to you know, comments from actual aliens, um, and the fact that it's called self-destruction when there's no evidence within the, the text itself that humans have destroyed themselves. I would have said, uh, you know, oh, a comet hit or the Earth or something like that but given the year it's published 1961 given uh, the fact that it has self-destruction in there um it's uh yeah it is it is um a a comic satire of human folly i think yeah i i i think that it is um i think that the satire of human folly is uh, based on some fairly substantial embedment within uh, the history of science fiction literature. I also think that the the prosody, the way in which the, the words are constructed to make a poem, is, is really quite worthwhile. Uh, for example, let's start with that first about, you know, buried in, in history, literary history. Three creatures sat on three creatures right away. We have to ask ourselves, why three? And there are all kinds of possibilities. But when we see that they are observing the fate of Earth, or at least the fate of humanity, I guess, um, you can't help but wonder if those three creatures are not the fates, hmm. each one doing some other thing or, you know, the, the witches from Macbeth. Uh, in a way, the fact that we have three creatures observing us sort of suggests that um, humanity is a fated race, that we may pride ourselves on our individuality and independence of thought, but by golly, there are other things controlling us. Uh, then in that first line, where are these three creatures sitting? They're sitting on the sands of Mars. Well, 
That's a nice phrase. Uh, it's also the title of Arthur C. Clarke's first published book, which came out in 1951. Um, it's a novel in which humanity finds natives on Mars, but nonetheless goes right forward to terraforming, to turning Mar trying to turn Mars into another Earth. So given how powerfully known Clark is in 1961, the fact that uh, Tepper has reused as the end of the very first line, I mean, it's just visually there on the page, right? The Sands of Mars stands mm -hmm. out at the upper right um, as a title, tells us something about the egotism of humanity, I think. Uh, also, at the end, we see that they've got that, you know, they're vying, they're, they're thinking, you know, is it right or wrong? What, what's gone on? Do we understand what happened with that planet? I remember as a child reading somewhere a list of the best stories in the English language, the best. And believe it or not, that list, I have no idea who composed it. I know this was somewhere in the 1950s that I read it, said that the best story in the English language short story was The Star by H.G. Wells. Now, you remember the star is a story in which um, the narrate the narrative voice um, is on the earth and he sees first a little star and then it gets wider and wider and bigger and bigger in the sky and as time goes on um, this astronomer here sees this and that religious prophet over there sees that and the oh, world that's H.G. Wells is the star um, yes. Oh, you said Arthur C. Clarke. Um, oh, I beg your pardon. No, yeah. no, I meant Wells is the star. Right. Yeah. Uh, Clark's the star is sort of an answer to it. Yes. Um, quite right. Thank you for the correction. Um, and and eventually the, the comet, come, which is, is called a star, comes so close as to create tidal waves. It topples down civilizations. And in fact, it makes the moon move further away from the earth and uh, the continents are slightly redrawn and the climate changes so radically that humanity begins to, such humanity as exists after the tidal waves, moves toward the poles. And the last paragraph, but the next to last paragraph of the story says, but the new brotherhood that grew presently among men of the saving of laws and books and machines of the strange change that came over Iceland and Greenland and the shores of Baffin Bay, blah, 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 blah. That will have to, that is, concerns itself only with the coming and passing of the star. And then the last paragraph utterly shifts viewpoint. And it says, the Martian astronomers, for there are astronomers on Mars, although they are very different beings from men, were naturally profoundly interested by these things. They saw them from their own standpoint, of course. Considering the mass and temperature of the missile that was flung through our solar system into the sun, one wrote, it is astonishing what a little damage the Earth, which it missed so narrowly, has sustained. All the familiar continental markings and the masses of the seas remain intact, and indeed the only difference seems to be a shrinkage of the white discoloration, supposed to be frozen water, round either pole, which only shows how small the vastest of human catastrophes may seem at a distance of a few million miles. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a great story, and that viewpoint shift 
to make us realize how small we are. It seems to me that that's what we get at the end of this. I think Tepper knows this story. Sure. And the only line that is full line that is um, that is repeated is considering the stars. The rhythm of four, 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 you know, four footed lines and then the sixth line being only three feet long, poetic feet, but rhyming with the couplet of the first two. So looking at the first stanza, Mars, bars, flute, convolute, mute, stars. And then in the last, Mars, bars, flute, dissolute, mute, stars. All right. So the sands of Mars is repeated. The twiddling bars or the ancient twiddling bars are repeated. But what resounds is considering the stars. I think that Tepper has H.G. Wells in mind. Mm -hmm. And and this is meant not only to be funny because of these twill-like aliens to us, Martians, but one of them, the third one, the guy whose horn was he had in the sand and sat mute. He was considering the stars. He looked at bigger issues. And by looking at bigger issues, considered how small was what happened. Now, what happens, it says in the one, two, three, four, fifth of the seven stanzas, is called a holocaust. The word holocaust, a burnt offering, mm-hmm. Is, is a word that goes back to the 14th century in English, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. But in 1961, the word Holocaust, it seems to me, to the wide public, is radically associated with the wiping out of the Jewish people, which is a genocide, an attempted genocide, which is like the destruction of the human race. Um, There is, however, also another Holocaust, which people as literate as Tepper clearly is. And I think one can argue her literacy, among other things, because of her word choice. She's clearly uh, not just made up words like skib, but has used rather unusual words like convolute. Um, There is a great short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne called Earth's Holocaust. Mm. Um. It's a story in which um, the earth, uh, human society thinks that it is sufficiently advanced that it does not want to allow itself to be infected by the intellectual errors of the past. And the Holocaust is a huge bonfire of all kinds of old literature, right? One thing after another is burned away. And one of the things that I love about that Hawthorne story, which is really virtually a parable, um, like Wells is the star, it doesn't really have characters in it. As the, the bonfire consumes one ancient, by ancient it means including our own stuff, one piece of fiction after another, the very last one to fail, the very last one to be consumed is a book of fairy tales. Mm-hmm. So Hawthorne is valorizing imagination there. The Holocaust is to throw away the imaginative. But of course, what Wells and Tepper are trying to suggest is 
if you have enough imagination, you can shift your viewpoint and realize what you have done. And anyway, I'm, I'm going on. I've got more to say about this, but I don't want to stop you from, uh, from contributing or questioning or rejecting. Okay, well, um, I, w- I would have uh, pointed to Wells as well. Um, I, I like the image of uh, the, the War of the Worlds that I see in this. Um, so you've got three uh, Martians sitting, which is, of course, the three-legged uh, ships that they bring to the Earth. Um, and instead of destroying the Earth... Um, and uh, having the, sto- the novel start with uh, human scientists noting the explosions on Mars, you've got three uh, sort of Martian enjoying themselves, uh, sitting in the in the evenings, looking out, perhaps drinking some liquids, talking and singing. And then one of them oddly says, "Yeah, you know, what do you think of the life up there?" And, uh, no, no, don't think so. And then it explodes. And I guess I guess we'll never know. <laughs> so it's it's kind of an inversion of of the War of the Worlds in that um, H.G. Wells, you know, says, look at this. We are uh, we are mighty, but we can be brought low by a mightier force, and yet they can be brought low even by a mightier force, which is just a tiny force, which is itself a kind of satire. Um, here. Um, it's it's a step back away from the uh, petty concerns of humans and their uh, ridiculous um, plan of mutual assured destruction, which apparently happens on the Earth. Uh, not that the uh, Martians know that necessarily, um, and 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 their life goes on perfectly well. And yeah. that is uh, to me, it's a comic in a certain sense. It's also tragic. And they often go together, and I think that's pretty cool. I I I I'm curious what you think. Um, so the first time I read this poem, I thought that uh, there was three or two musical instruments at least, and one of them is mentioned, um, while the third with his horn in the sand sat mute. So at first I thought the horn was another musical instrument, and I'm not 100% sure that it's not. However, um, I was thinking that it might be a cup, right? A what? Um, a cup, uh, as in a, a, a horn of mead or, a, you know, ah. a kind of, you know, it, this is, uh, uh, they're relaxing rather than uh, taking turns singing and playing musical instruments. They're just all relaxing there. And there, there's kind of evidence that uh, that the first began an amused dance, right? The second, fourth, eyes crossed askance, right? Skibbed with extreme severity. Well, I've never skibbed as far as I know. Maybe you have to have four eyes to do it. But then <laughs> the next line, you ought to watch your tongues, quoth he. So they have more than one tongue as well, right? And yet, um, for all the uh, strangenesses they have about themselves uh, and their bodies, and whether a twalreg flute is anything like a human flute or anything, you know, any of the uh, vocabulary that is alien is actual comparable to us their personalities are certainly comparable to ours for years our scientists have spent their time in the establishments of the reason why the life we know could not exist above below or any place but here they show that fact self-evident 
Well, I'm not sure that a lot of scientists have done that around here recently. Um, maybe quite the opposite, but we certainly found out a lot of facts that, yeah, there's no life on Mars, but we keep looking. There's no <laughs> life on Mars. And uh, the confidence um, that they have in the lack of life elsewhere is uh, certainly a confidence that human humanity had for many millennia um, and not even considering other worlds at all and that they existed at all. And, and so uh, I, I, I like it whenever we step out of the ordinary every day and into the cosmic and sitting outside looking at the stars um, will do that to you. So it's not just a comic story of, you know, silly humans and look what they did to themselves. It's also uh, a very human story in a sense. I agree. I think that they are, in fact, in, in a Martian odyssey, um, what we come to understand is that Twill is better than the humans. It means more human in the sense of what we value in humans than are the humans that he meets there. Right. Uh, and I would point out that Twill, which is a made-up name, and this is this Weinbaum's story, is, uh, is one of the most famous in science fiction. It's 1934, so uh, Sherry Tipper could hardly not have gotten had the chance to read it, uh, reprinted many times. Twill, T-W-E-E-L, uh, look at the made-up words here, yeah. twiddling and twalreg, right? Um, it, 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 he's She's giving us uh, that same twanged, reminder of what that sound was i thought um at first that the horn was a musical instrument too but i have come to think and not that it matters 100 percent to to nail this down but i thought when the third twanged out his voice was rife with a hint of fear um it could be that he pulled his horn out of the sand mm -hmm. maybe they speak out of out of the horns that they have um why not Right. I mean, you can you can hear that saxophone speaking words of mm -hmm. sexy love. Right. So I don't know um, what I what I do know, though, is that uh, the critique here uh, of humans is also a critique of the Martians. That is the third one who chooses to consider the stars is, in fact, the, the wiser. Mm hmm. For years, our scientists have spent their time in the establishment of reasons why life we know it could not exist above, below, or any place but here. Um, I get that. Um, that above, below um, reminds me of America uh, being seen in a poem by John Donne as a mistress, above, below, and in between. Um, but maybe that's not an intentional allusion by Tepper to another poem. However, they show okay, – when I read as far as life can be not any place but here, um, the first thing that came to my mind is, wait a minute. Scientists aren't, try, aren't supposed to try to prove a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to disprove a hypothesis. This is a critique of what Martian scientists are doing. And then the very next line says, they show that fact self-evident, which is oxymoronic. Mm-hmm. If it is self-evident, they don't need to show it. So clearly these scientists are struggling to do what? Well, we're told in the preceding stanza, you should not say these things. Watch your tongues. One mm -hmm. should not affront the deity. 
by mentioning such chance, such a possible happening, right? So these scientists are in the service of religion. These are not scientists pursuing science. These are scientists pursuing ideology. Yeah. And in that sense, I think that contributes to your suggestion, Jesse, that this is a critique of humans and that the Martians are humans. Yes. And Tepper is telling us how it is we wound up with, you know, mutually assured destruction. The scientists are saying they're just doing one thing or other, but in fact, they are pursuing ideology. And this, this leads to a real problem. The problem is the next to last line of the next to last stanza. When it all blows up, hell, <laughs> it doesn't matter now. We create hell. And once we've done it, there, there's nothing left to discuss. The, the Twalreg flute got me interested. Mm-hmm. Turns out there is an English word, it's based on German, which is pronounced Talweg. Okay, sometimes spelled with an H because the, it comes from the German word T-H-A-L, Tal, pronounced that way in German, which means a valley. A Twalreg flute, right? so the Talweg is actually a term in geology for the central deepest line in a ravine. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've got opposing sides and in between at the lowest point is the ravine. This is where the water would run if you had a canal. And the very next line after a Twalreg flute is sang a canal lay most convolute. Well, a lay, of course, is a, a poem to be sung, but mm-hmm. the canal lay most convolute. Right? So we are definitely set on the sands of Mars by the sides of a canal that has no water running through it. But what we do have running through it is this division of opinion. Now, ravine, which is what the definition of Talweg brings us to, ravine is cognate with ravened. The Holocaust together vied to rip the ravened globe aside. The globe became ravened, that is to say, split in half, created a ravine, ravished, mm-hmm. right? Because there were opposing views, and each was armed with nuclear weapons. The Holocausts divide together vied to rip the ravened globe aside. I think buried in these words that look so cute. And remind us even of the comical twill, I think Tepper is making a very serious uh, set of observations about the fundamental abdication of clear thinking and scientific analysis in our modern world and how that may in fact turn us into a burnt out, dead, waterless domain like Mars. Mm. And the only way out is to shut up, as number three says, with his horn in his hand, he sat mute considering the stars. This is science fiction for personal and political improvement. I think it's actually a superb poem. Mm, it's really, it's really good. The one of the things that um, you know, she's got the, these words, these made-up words, twiddling, twalreg, twa, twonged. Now, twong, you might say, you know, it's just onomatopoeic, right? It's just a sound, <laughs> twonged out. Uh, Widge almost sounds like uh, this T W sound, right? Skibbed, skibbed, and widge. Um, 
all the TWs um, make us think of uh, twee, a tweel, right? And mm-hmm. which makes us think of uh, wheel and three, at least to me, um, with the three-legged uh, Martian monsters and the three sitting uh, Martians here by the uh, canal or on the sands of Mars anyways. Um, the final one, I'm, I'm not 100% clear on this. Uh, the word troach, it sounds like it could be an English word. And there is uh, <laughs> a lozenge, especially a circular one. Um, but as far as I know, it's not an English word that would make sense here. Of a, it is an English. It is actually. Is it? Okay. Yeah, it's a rare word. It's a rare word. But a troach, uh, which I think is pronounced trochi, but I'm not sure. Um, because the, the scansion here would say in trochis old and dissolute would fit the scansion. Mm-hmm. Um, a troach, a is is um, a three-horned, three-pointed horn of an antlered animal. Ah. And it is as opposed to a forche. F-O-U-R-C-H-E, which is even numbers. So if you have um, uh, a stag that has his antlers dividing and dividing, and at the end they divide into twos. So you look at that stag in the face and you're seeing two on one side, two on the other. That's a force. But if, in fact, they divide so that there are threes, Mm. that's called a troche. So while humanity, human beings, we tend to think of stereotypically as coming in pairs, you know, Adam and Eve and all of that, um, the Martians are indeed, as you said, like the three-legged Martians. They're coming in threes. Um, also, of course, a trochi, if that's how it's to be pronounced, and it looks that way, um, could be a trochi, which is the poetic foot that's the opposite of the I am. Right, yeah, the I was I thinking that too. Right. So a trochi begins with pounding. So da-da. Da-da, da-da, those are trochies. Da-da, 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 those are iams. And trochies so, old and dissolute matches up with the, the canal lay, right? The, exactly. So, yeah. So it's, it's also a, so it's also a poem about poetry. Yeah. And the real, the real possibilities are only if after we have heard them, like the third Martian, we can learn to sit mute. And dissolute. There's a, that the trochies old or trochies old and dissolute. Um, it's it, it it's kind of depressing, right? A, a it canal is. It's a way from convoluted. the comedy that first appears. Yes, and so um, that depth in such such a you know short story, as it were, um, is pretty good. It's pretty good, and it makes me. Um, it's why I like reading. I used to hate reading uh, science fiction poems when they showed up in magazines. I was like, what? I want another story. And they wasted a couple pages on this thing. Um, but I started to like them when I noticed how funny most of them were. Um, and often they were about very specific things like other science fiction writers or, uh, you know, uh, a particular book or some particular uh, cliche that shows up again and again and and just being playful in that way and here we've got all of that it it is um it is referencing all the stereotypes about mars um and yet it's telling its own little story as well which i guess 
proves that even when in that rich context, the conclusion is that we should sit mute, there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.